before you sit down, uh, if you do believe what he said that we are on assignment for the Lord, you turn to someone near to you and say, I am on assignment for the Lord today. <coughs> All right. If there's anybody left standing up, we're going to evangelize you because you don't know what's going on yet. <laughs> okay. Now, those little papers about uh, intercessors, if you uh, sense that God would like you till the end of July to be an intercessor, just fill that out. And then uh, when the uh, offering is taken, you just put it in the basket. And those of you who count the offering, if you would be sure and give me those papers, I'll appreciate it. If you want to take some more time to think about it, just take it along with you, and then you can email or snail mail it to us. <coughs> One of the questions that comes up sometimes in missions is, you know, those Muslims over there, they don't want to have missionaries. Those Jews over there, they don't either. I mean, those places are hard. You have to work a long time before anybody accepts Christ. So why should we worry about them when there are other places that there are just so many more opportunities, people are more open? All right. So here's my topic this morning. Why head toward the hard places? And where are those hard places? And why are they so hard? Uh, shouldn't we just go where we get more bang for our missions bucks? and more souls for our silver, and more disciples for our dollars. Wouldn't that make better sense? All right. <coughs> Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter uh, 15. Romans chapter 15. Thank you. And while you're doing that, I want to read to you the first of DNI's uh, goals or mission statements. It says like this. DNI shall prioritize the planting of reproducing mission-minded Anabaptist churches among unreached people groups, that is, those who are less than 2% born again, particularly those who are in or from countries found in the 1040 window. The 1040 window, if you imagine the map and you look at Africa and Central Asia and, and East Asia, and you think t the latitude 10 degrees north of the equator and then 40 degrees north of the equator from West Africa all the way over to Japan. That's called the 1040 window. <coughs> Ninety-some percent of the unreached people are in that window. So if we're serious about reaching unreached people groups who are less than 2% born again, we have to think 1040 window, either in those countries or those people in our countries. For example, the, the Burmese... Uh, that are in Fort Wayne. Uh, Yvonne is working with people there who are from the 1040 window. They're from Burma, but they live in Fort Wayne. 7,000, did you tell me, Yvonne? Approximately 7,000 people. All right. <coughs> but why should we prioritize these people when there are so many opportunities in Haiti and Nicaragua? We used to live in Nicaragua, Mexico, and so on. We should care about those people as well. So first... Why head to the he hard places? Now, some have said that if you want to make a good progress on your list of things to do in a day's time, start with the hardest things first. Get those out of the way, and then go to the other things. Why head to the hard places? Romans chapter 15, uh, and I will begin 
reading verse 14, but my primary text is verse 20 and verse 21. So Paul is writing in this book, which is his gospel. Uh, We have the four gospels, and then this is the fifth one, Paul's version of the gospel. And he says now, verse 14, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Just a pause. He saw the Gentiles as an offering that he was giving up to the Lord. We sang about that. Gathering jewels for a crown, an offering for the king. We just got done singing about that. Continuing on, therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient (coughs) in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. I'll just pause. To make the Gentiles obedient, that's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And in Romans 1 and in Romans 16, both times he mentions to make the the Gentiles obedient to the faith. That's what the gospel is about. Leading people to surrender to King Jesus and following in his way. So he says, so that from Jerusalem around about to Illyricum, that's in Turkey, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, verses 20 and 21. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, and here's a quote from Isaiah 52, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul had for a long time wanted to go to the Romans, and he said, many times I I wanted to go, but I couldn't make it because I was busy about sharing the gospel with people who had not heard. Now, Paul gives two very clear reasons, and maybe a third one here. Why go to the hard places? In verse 20, he said, it was my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So, In going to the hard places, we announce the gospel to people who had not heard. Sometimes we say they're hard people, but they have not heard. It's not that they've rejected him. They just haven't had a good opportunity with understanding to receive him. So that's one, to avoid building on other man's foundation. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about the foundations that we lay. And some lay the foundation, and others come and build on the foundation. So in the body of Christ, and I would assume in this local body of believers, God calls people, certain individuals, to be the foundation layers. You know, foundation work is hard work, and it's not real pretty. It's down underneath where people don't see it when you get all done. But it's very important work. I used to do construction years ago. 
And I never like to work on foundations. That old concrete where it's hard work. And when it's all done, well, what is it? It's just a bunch of concrete. But it's underneath there where people don't say, isn't that a pretty foundation? It is just so beautiful. No, they don't do that. <laughs> okay, but it's very necessary. The second reason, <coughs> he says, but as it is written. And so he saw work among the unreached people as a fulfillment of Scripture. And this verse comes right before Isaiah 53. You know what Isaiah 53 is, right? It talks about Jesus. In fact, it so clearly talks about Jesus, the Jewish people don't read it because they don't want people to think that it's about Jesus. They just skip over it. And so uh, this is part of the suffering servant song. And uh, he says, he shall be announced, Jesus shall be announced to those who have not heard. And those who have not heard shall understand. And so going to the hard places to announce the gospel is a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And Paul saw himself doing that. And furthermore, by implication, he went to the hard places because those who did not see and did not understand, he cared about them. And he wanted them to see. And he wanted them to understand. Now stop and think this morning, folks. Try to see yourself as you would be if you had never read the Bible your parents had never read the Bible, you had never heard about Jesus, and your grandparents had never heard about Jesus, can you imagine who you would be? What would your life be like? You have no clue. Did you know your and my ancestors back in Europe were a bloody bunch? They were nasty people. You didn't want to meet them in the dark or in the day. They were pagans. And they were godless. And God has somewhat tamed us. Somewhat, I say. <laughs> we're still in the taming process, right? But imagine, there are many, many people around the world, people groups just like that, even yet, who have not received the gospel. We should go to them for these very same reasons. Now, there are some more reasons I would like to give. Going to hard places both shapes and reveals character. Now think with me. Remember David said when he wanted to conquer Jerusalem, he said that whoever would go up and conquer Jerusalem, he would, have, he would become his general. And Joab did. He found a way. He went up through the water shaft. The people in Jerusalem had said even the blind and the lame can't, could defend this city. And Joab was given then the prime plumb, general of David's army. It also revealed character. Remember Caleb. He said, give me this mountain. And he was 85. And God gave it to him. It revealed his character. <coughs> so uh, going to the hard places will shape you and it will reveal you what kind of a person you are in the service of the king. Another one. Think about Jesus. It said he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Why was that hard? Because he was going to die there. And that reveals what kind of a man he was. Our commander-in-chief. Anybody can live a soft and easy life and be a, cou a, pota a couch potato. But it takes character to face down those hard things in life, to conquer them.
So it reveals uh, the shape of our character, and it, we follow the example of Jesus when he did that as well. Going to the hard places also demonstrates the worthiness of our king. Now here's the Bible example. Remember when David, he had not yet been uh, crowned king, and he was fighting. And remember that one night he says, oh, he said, I'm so thirsty. If I could just have a drink of water from where? The well in Bethlehem, his hometown. Remember how there's no place like the water that, that you're used to, right? They say strange water never quite satisfies. Well, three of his men heard that. They heard the sigh of their commander. What did they do? At night, they risked their lives. Remember the story? And they went through the enemy lines. They went to the well. They drew water out. And they slipped back through the enemy lines again and brought it back to David. And what did David do? He lifted the water and he what? He poured it out. He said, it is not right for me to drink the blood of these men. Those three men, what did they do by getting that water? They demonstrated the worthiness of their commander. And you know what, brothers and sisters? There are people right now who are dying for their cause. It's called ISIS. And it's a threat to the West because the West hardly has anything worth living for, much less dying for. We demonstrate the worthiness of King Jesus by what we're willing to risk for him. And faith is just another word of taking God-anointed risk, God-initiated risk on his behalf. That's why we should go to the hard places to demonstrate the worthiness of King Jesus. But not only that, going to the hard places fulfills God's heart desire. Keep your finger in Romans 15. Turn with me to Roman, uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. They, Peter prophesied there will be people in the last days who will say, where is this promise of his coming? They've been saying that he's coming back again ever since 2,000 years ago. People say that. But then he says, he explains why there has been such long delay for the return of Christ to set all things right and to put an end to accidents and sicknesses and disease, all of these terrible things. And he says, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, Second Peter 3, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack or careless concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. If you wonder about the delay, it's so that more people have an opportunity to accept Jesus, to, to turn in repentance. Jesus gave a prophecy in Matthew 24. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the kingdom shall be announced to all the people groups, and then what? And then shall the end come. And so we know that according to Jesus' description and understanding of the unreached people groups, they have not all been reached because what? The end has not yet come. And so when we reach out to the Rohingya and to others who are unreached, we are participating in hastening the end that Jesus predicted. And so 
Reaching, going to the hard places, fulfills God's own heart desire for lost people to have an opportunity to repent. And then finally, going to the hard places cooperates with the fulfillment of God's global eternal purposes. And we read that earlier when John said, I saw some standing before the throne from every language, that includes Pennsylvania Dutch, and tribe, and, and people, standing before the throne from everyone. This is where history is going. This is the big story. It is his story. And we have the privilege and the honor to be involved, whether it's by going, sending, praying, giving, or by whatever means, emailing, chatting on, on the Internet, or whatever it is, we participate in this great story. And by the way, I want to urge you to be especially alert when you go to farmer's markets and to Walmarts and wherever you go, be alert for the immigrants among you. Because one of the amazing things God is doing in our times is bringing the immigrants right into our own towns and villages and countryside so that why? They come to make money, just like we want to make money. He brought them here, why? So that we will share the gospel with them. If he can't get us to go there, or if over there they won't let us in there, he'll bring them here. Do you know, in, the, in New York City, right where the Mission Training Center is, within 30-block area there, there are over 120 languages spoken. In that hospital, the Elmhurst Hospital, they hire 150 translators. I mean, translators from 150 languages to be able to help care for the patients in that hospital. You are not so far from major centers of immigrants. Years ago, we were doing a workshop in Detroit, the outskirts of Detroit, and for our practicum, we had to go into an immigrant community. We went to Farmington, Michigan, which is a, a part of Detroit. When you step into Farmington, Michigan, it's like you're in the Middle East, and people will check you out like this to see why you're there because you are an obvious minority. The sights and sounds and smells are like the Middle East. Go into the shops and try all the different kinds of olives. You thought there were two, green and black. There's a whole bunch more than that. They're wonderful. You could reach immigrants from very near, not very far away. Keep your eyes open for them because God's brought them here so that we can befriend them. A couple of years ago, we were up in Grove City in Minnesota and uh, Verlin Miller, Yoder, told us that they have, not far from their church, a, a, a growing Somali Muslim community that come there to work in whatever, a chicken plant or something like that. Somali Muslims. Somalia is a very difficult place for Christian missionaries to be able to work. And he said one time when they were in the Walmart, they were checking out, he and his family were checking out, and this girl, a Muslim girl with the hijab, she just checked them out like that, just like we do sometimes too, and asked them who they were, and they struck up a friendship with her and to visit in the home. Isn't that wonderful? These are the best of times, folks, while they are also at the same time the worst of times. Great troubles and great opportunities. Anyway, back to my notes. Why are the hard places so hard? Why are they hard? Well, first of all, one missions uh, professor or missiologist, person who studies missions, said 
It's hard because the low-hanging fruit has been picked. In other words, many people groups that are more close to us in culture or in language or in worldviews have been easier to harvest. The resistant ones, like Hinduism, uh, anyway, I won't tell you what they are. I'll show you pretty soon. They have um, an o- their old religions, well-established. They've been able to withstand the attack of secularism, and so it's tougher. Plus, many times their governments will not allow us to have missionary visas. And so, you know, sometimes you're picking fruit from the tree. You can reach a lot of fruit like that, but eventually you have to get a ladder because the low-hanging fruit has been picked. And so that's what that missiologist meant by that. Secondly, some of the hard places are hard because people have been hardened due to the lack of exposure to the gospel. They just haven't heard. It's not the Bible isn't in their language. Maybe the Jesus film is not in their language. Maybe Christians are not easily allowed there. Years ago, we had a couple who was in Saudi Arabia. He was teaching English in a university there. And that's how he got his visa. Do you know he had to make an application for a special visa in order for his parents to be allowed to come and visit him? We could never go and visit them. So some places are very difficult because there are huge obstacles through religion or through politics, through government. Sometimes it has to do with climate or with terrain. Not easy to get there. Satan blinds people and then he binds people and then he destroys people. And there are areas of the world where Satan has had free reign for millennia. And he is not going to release his grip easily. It has to be fought away from him. These are some of the hard places. The Bible says the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. But we don't realize how much we have been given, how much we have received because the gospel has penetrated as much as it has in our country and in Canada to the north of us, even while we see that some of that is slipping away as our culture moves away from Judeo-Christian values. But a third reason why hard places are hard may do be uh, due to Christians' own behavior. Now you say, no, wait a minute. What, what do you mean by that? Well, <coughs> is it time for a story? Okay. You know, Jewish people are hardened by the Inquisition and the Crusades and the Holocaust. One of the things that will come up in Jewish evangelism is, well, what about the Holocaust? Because the Germans were Christians. And here's the story. I was riding with a real estate man years ago looking for an apartment uh, for another couple who was coming to the city. I didn't know he was Jewish. So as we're riding about, I started to talk to him about Jesus, and he became very agitated. And he says, in that name, they killed my ancestors. Well, he was Jewish. What do you say? And just popped out. Sir, in that name, they killed my ancestors too. He said, who are you? I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm Mennonite. And you can either be bitter about it or you can forgive. And that was the end. Now, brothers and sisters, 
we as Anabaptist people have been uniquely, among the Christian denominations, we have been uniquely positioned to share the gospel with Jews and Muslims because those, those terrible massacres were often done in the name of Christ, I'm sorry to say. Now, we can always explain they did it against the teachings of Christ. Whereas today, not all Muslims, but those who are involved in killing people are doing it because the Quran says they should kill the infidels. So that's a huge difference, although it doesn't make much difference to the dead person or to the widow. But at any rate, I'm saying some people are hardened through Christians' own behavior. And so it, it makes a challenge for us to reach beyond that. But let's get a little bit closer and dig in a little deeper. Sometimes the hardness may be in our own hearts toward these people. You say, what do you mean by that? I'll give you just a couple of illustrations from the Bible. Remember when those thousands of people gathered together to listen to Jesus and they were hungry? Do you remember that? What did the disciples say? They said, Lord, what? Send them away. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Hear the difference? Or another time, Jesus was sitting with the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that? And Jews and Samaritans didn't really appreciate each other. They hated each other. Jesus was talking to this Samaritan person, plus she was a lady, plus she was a lady of a bad reputation. He sent the disciples away to get food. They come back, and they see this going on between the two, and they marveled that he was talking to her. And then a little bit later, Jesus said, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are what? And when the disciples lifted up their eyes and looked, besides the wheat fields, what else did they see? They, thank you. They saw the Samaritans coming out of the village, following that lady to come and talk to him who told her everything she had ever done. Who had the hard heart? The disciples. Who had the soft heart? Jesus. They saw hardness. He saw a harvest. What about this, uh, this uh, illustration? He sent a couple of his disciples to go and look for a place to stay overnight. Remember that? Jesus was traveling through the Samaritan area, and Jews often went all the way around. They walked maybe 30 extra miles to avoid going through the Samaritan territory. And so Jesus sent them out to look for some place to stay, and they came back, and they told Jesus, nobody wants to give us any place to stay. Then what did the disciples say? Shall we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Now that sounds like hardness to me. What about you? <laughs> said, you don't know what spirit of which you speak. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So I'm saying sometimes the hardness is not out there. It's right in here. May the Lord help us. So why? That's why some of the places are hard. Why head to the hard places? Why are some of the hard places hard? And the last one. Now, where are these hard places? Where are they? Well, let's see if we can resurrect this, uh, this uh, relative of Murphy. Okay. Daryl, are you around? Okay. Pardon? 
Okay, what's waking up? This is already awake here. Something needs to show up. You know, you'd think, folks, that after a few times like this, you'd learn, but I don't know, there's something about when you're over 40, let's say over 50, it just doesn't compute. I don't know how it, why it is this way. These young people, these young people, did I get some points there, Daryl? Okay. <laughs> I, it's just something happens in a person's brain. There we go. Thank you very much. Okay. Now, wh where are the hard places? I want you to look here. Okay. <coughs> uh, okay. Here are uh, some major religious blocks. Muslim, Hindu, Chinese, tribal, and Western people groups. Okay. And so these figures right here represent uh, proportionate sizes of the numbers of people groups in those blocks. Uh, Buddhist would be in here included in the Chinese. <coughs> now these, uh, this upper level represents the uh, proportionate numbers of missionaries working within these people groups. Tell me what you observe. Okay, that's one. The ones in the Western countries and people groups have the most workers. What else do you observe? Okay, there are fewer people to be reached. What else do you observe? Isn't that amazing? It is exactly inversely proportionate. Isn't that amazing? Now here's your second table topic for lunch today. Why? Why do you think it is that way? Okay, so you can talk about that one. Now, let's go to this next one. Okay, here's the distribution of missionaries in proportion to world population. This side of this center line represents the people groups that are classified reached peoples, which means over 5% of some kind of Christian. This side represents the unreached people groups of the world, 2.7 billion, about 3 billion people now. <coughs> 4 billion on this side. Now the yellow, uh, okay, the, the black bar represents the, the number of missionaries working among that block of people. Here's what I want you to notice. 90% of the missionaries work among the, un, among the reached peoples of the world. 10% of the missionaries work among the unreached. This portion of the world's population represents 40% of the world. Okay, now I'm not done yet. Look at this one. Of the offerings that are taken in Christian churches in America, 95 cents of every dollar stays right there. Paying for the AC, 
uh, paying for the pastor's salaries. I know you don't. You keep your. You believe in keeping your pastors humble and poor and so on. So you just support them very little. All right. <clears throat> now the regular missions that would be missions among the reached peoples. The reached peoples are those who are more than five percent Christian. Okay, that's called regular missions. Four and a half pennies out of every missions uh, out of every offering dollar goes to help reach those people. Frontier missions are those who are less than 5% Christian. Only one half of one penny. Now, is it any wonder that the unreached continue to remain unreached? Now, one thing you might want to do is go through your missions giving. Go through your offerings in a year and see how does that compare with what's happening across the U.S. I, my guess is that you would have a much higher proportion going to missions because we don't have a uh, paid sal uh, salaried ministry. <coughs> However, it would also be interesting then to dig a little deeper and see what proportion of the money you give to missions goes to regular missions, what percent goes to frontier missions. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are serious, if we're serious, I'm not, I don't know yet if we are, if we are serious about reaching the unreached so that then the end may come, we must do some homework and see what is going on with our money and with the people that we send out into missions. Are we going to neglect the reached peoples? No. There's a lot of work there that needs to be done yet. And as someone mentioned, the harvest field is all around us. We're all on the front lines. We're all in the harvest field. But the unreached people have remained unreached for 2,000 years. Not because we don't have good enough tools, but, but, but because we are not prioritizing them. <coughs> now, where are the hard places that DNI has chosen to work. One would be Spain. Spain itself is difficult. About 400,000 evangelical believers in Spain. Half of those are gypsy believers, interestingly. And it's been hard going for the evangelicals to win Spain for Christ. But we're not working with the Spaniards. We're working with the Muslim immigrants in Spain. That's one of the hard places. Another one is in Bangladesh. 90% Muslim. <coughs> Another one would be with Muslims in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, there's a tremendous opportunity. Muslims alone in New York City are about between... 100,000. They estimate maybe 3 million, maybe more Muslims in the U.S. right here where we have the privilege and the freedom to work to win them to Christ. We mentioned Quebec. One out of 200 born again. Quebec is in a social moral free fall. It's trying as hard as it can to keep up with France. Becoming very secularized. Catholic churches are selling off their cathedrals, their buildings, because they can't af afford to finance heating them and repairing them. And so they're selling them off for museums or bars 
or roller skating rink, uh, skateboard rinks. <coughs> One uh, elder, let me back up. The average age of the priests in Quebec is right at the age of retirement. They're having to import priests from other parts of the world. When at one time, Quebec itself was a major Catholic sending base to send missionaries around the world. So, uh, Quebec is another hard place. And you almost never, ever hear any mention about it as a mission field. Cambodia. In the 1970s, some of you may have remembered reading about the Pol Pot regime. Do you remember about that? It was a communist regime that took power. In a four or five year period, two million out of the seven million population were slaughtered or died of disease or of um, hunger. Most of them most of the educated people were killed off. So the average age of the country now is very low because of so many orphans. People are so traumatized by what they saw and experienced. Uh, the other summer, we were doing an exploratory trip in Quebec, and we stayed in a motel there in Quebec City. And I noticed that these folks, the owner and the manager, this couple, were from the Far East somewhere. Well, it turned out she was from Thailand, and he was, from, he was from Cambodia. So I asked Mr. Sung, I said, oh, I'm very curious about other countries and things. Tell me, are you the survivor or were your parents the survivors? He says, I'm the survivor. I said, could you tell me your story? He didn't want to go there. Too painful. The next day, talked with him a little bit more. I said, Mr. Sung, I'd still be interested in hearing your story. He said, well, you know, he says, recently, for the first time, here's a man like in his 40s or 50s, for the first time I went back to my country recently, he said, whenever I would see a police or a soldier, I couldn't stand it. Those feelings, those fears, and that anger just kept welling up inside me. I can't live there. He says, now here in Canada, when I see a policeman, it doesn't bother me. But as soon as I was back there, I couldn't stand it. So you know that something very deep is inside of him. That's another hard place. Mongolia, another one. The First Nations people in Canada. <coughs> and uh, your pastor can tell you even more about that. The Turks. Turkish people in Turkey and in New York City. <coughs> the Bengalis in New York City. We have Bengali neighbors right downstairs from us, a family with three children. And I met him at a local gas station, and he wanted to move into our community. He moved into our building, and he says, I want to move there because, and he went like this, you remind me, of my father. What do you think that means? His bearded father, right? He says, I would like you to be grandparents for our children. And there they are, right? Our closest neighbors, Bengali Muslims. And then, of course, Jewish people and Myanmar and so on and so on. <coughs> now, one of the challenges for us as a people to really focus on the unreached, the hard-to-reach people is do we have enough patience and endurance to go for the long haul when it's not having a lot of success? That's the challenge. Now, I want to conclude this morning on this topic of heading toward the hard places by having you read with me a couple of passages. One is Isaiah 
45, verses 1 to 3. <coughs> Isaiah 45, verses 1 to 3. Now I know that in this passage, Isaiah is writing to prophesy. God is speaking of what he's going to do through Cyrus. Now Cyrus was from what we would call an unreached people group. He was not Jewish. I think he was, what was he? Was he Syrian or Babylonian, something like that? He was, he was an emperor who would come. He hadn't been born yet. And he is going to, God is going to use him to send people back to rebuild uh, the temple. And here's what he says. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, chapter 45, verse 1, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. And just a pause. He's describing what this pagan king would do in his exploits in conquering the nations around him in preparation for sending Jews back to the, their homeland to rebuild the wall and the temple. Then he says... I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Now my question is, if God would make a promise that he would do this through a pagan king, will he not much more delight to do this through his own children? There are treasures in the darkness that he wants to bring into the people of God. Yes, even into our own churches. As we go to the dark places and to the hard places to win people for Christ. The hidden riches of secret places. <coughs> now, the last one, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is known as a messianic psalm, a psalm of prophecy. And in this psalm you hear... Uh, God speaking and then he makes a promise to his coming son the son of man son of God the Messiah and uh, in verses 7 through 9 you will see that promise but I would like to begin with verse 1 why do the nations rage isn't that a description of our time right now with Russia and the Ukraine battling it out and ISIS and Boko Haram in Nigeria and then the nations are getting the Western nations are becoming uptight about this where is this going what is going to happen and then the pressure that's being put on Israel and the difficulties between Israel and 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 the US as they try to broker some kind of a peace deal that will keep the Palestinians happy <clears throat> why do the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's the coming Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And those little phrases there, are amplified in the last book of the Bible when the nations drink the cup of the fury of his wrath. And this is what he says. 
Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That's Jerusalem, by the way. And God says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. This is amplified in the New Testament as referring to Jesus Christ. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In fact, Romans says that this was fulfilled when Jesus was raised from the dead. Now verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations, the goyim, or the, the people groups, the Gentile people groups for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. vessel. That comes at the very end. But in the interim, the, the, the stage of preaching the gospel, God is giving to his own son the fulfillment of this passage. Jesus himself has asked for the nations, the people groups, to become his very own. And he does that through our witness, through our intercession, through our going and sending and encouraging and Skyping and emailing. We are working together for these nations, these people groups, to become the inheritance that Jesus receives from his Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a privilege? We are his ambassadors, and together we work for the fulfillment of this prophecy. I invite you and encourage you to participate as fully as you know how, nearby and far away in the fulfillment of this request of Jesus to his heavenly Father. Give me the people groups of the earth for my inheritance. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this group of your people. Thank you for the work that you are doing in them and through them. Please bless those who have gone out from them to share the good news. Please do your work to raise up from among them, among these children, these young people, these young families, and the not-so-young, creative ways to spread the gospel among the people groups and especially among the unreached people groups of the world. Put them in contact right here in this part of the world with people from unreached people groups. Help them be alert to see them and to find them and to befriend them, not to be afraid of them. Direct Levon and Beth's journey and Yvonne's as well as they contemplate being led by your spirit toward a very unreached, unloved, hated, despised, and neglected people group. I ask you, Lord, to make this church to be noteworthy for sending out people to the unreached people groups of the world and make this church noteworthy for starting new churches and even establishing works among the minorities here in this country. Come down upon them in mighty waves of the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to fulfill this great heart desire of your own and thus shape and reveal their character and their esteem of your worthiness by taking up the challenge of going to the hard places 
and what seems to us to be the hard peoples of the world. We ask this for the sake of your worthy name, the name Christ Jesus. Amen.